Come on, Jake. It's only your life. Go away, Baton. Where you going, meet? About 90 feet? You want to get rid of Peyton? Which Peyton? No, I went with a different movie. Oh, you did, okay. I just wanted to switch it up. It reminded me of Peyton Manning. My wife said today, she was watching the nationwide commercials and she goes, I just don't find Peyton Manning that funny at all. Oh. And I think I was like, that's the point of him trying to be funny. Right. He's not, doesn't look funny at all. Like he'd be funny. Yeah. Plus it's interesting how he still has all these endorsements after his career. True. I like Peyton Manning. No, he's a good personality. It's great. No, if you could, if you could play, I mean, he doesn't need the money. Right. right. I mean, if we're going to rank Mannings, we can rank Mannings. There's several of them. Uh, we just got to put Coop last, right? Just, oh, but a, have you seen Coop's online show? Still got to put him last. <laughs> so he didn't win a Super Bowl at all. Sorry, yeah, Coop. But his kid's coming up. I know. Coop Jr.? Arch. Arch. Okay. All right, good. That was original. Welcome to the Brackish Podcast, everyone. We're back. Yes. Woo-hoo. We're calling this season two. We went on a little uh, hiatus. Hiatus. Yeah. Hiatus. Yeah, hiatus. And uh, now we're back. Oh, hiatus. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Don't blame it on Cliff or Lynn, though. Nope. <laughs> blame it on Knock. Yeah. Uh, totally. It doesn't mean we're any more prepared. Correct. It means we're back. I did nothing up to this point. Don't lie. I didn't like research 10 stories or no, unprepared. I actually did it this morning. I'm just here for you to ruin a song and that's really it. Ooh, that's true. Ooh. I haven't uh, sang Lady Gaga, Bad Romance, the same since Bagger Vance. And uh, it's just one of my favorite things that you bring to the table, Cliff. Okay. Well, what? I guess we'll go with, I guess we'll turn into it. So. What was the last song that played through Tony Montana's head as he had this big mountain of cocaine in front of him and a gun like ready to just shoot everyone? So say hello to my little friend. Yeah, like what was going, what was the song going through his head? Oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, You put the nose in the coconut. (laughs) I don't. It sounded something like. I'm only Cuban, I'm only after, Cuban all. after all. I'm only Cuban, after all. That one bothered me. I heard it on the radio and I was like, ooh. Hit me real quick. Oh, very great. We'll put that in post. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I could write more lyrics, but it's just why, you know? I let everyone for else. For the people. You, know, you write the lyrics for the people. I know, but people, I like people who have their own imaginations. They could add to it, you know? I don't um, know. Like I said, I didn't do anything the past two months, so maybe it'll get better as we go. On. Oh, it's always going to get better for sure. I, I thought it was great. It reminded me of Mark Cuban, too. He must sing it like that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's got he's so much Shark money, Day. he could tell him to change it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's his walk-up song to Shark Tank now. Let's tweet at him. Oh, that's good. Yes. <laughs> You need to tweet that to him. Okay. All right. We'll be good. Uh, if you heard uh, somebody talking in the background, that's Mrs. Biff. And we've got uh, Mrs. Biff with us and Mr. Lynn is Ooh. here. So. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy? Je- Jeremy? Jeremy Lynn? Yeah. Jeremy Lynn? Lynn Sanity? Yeah. No. Oh. But 
it is insane that they're both here. This is fantastic. I am very excited that Mr. Lin is here this week. Yes. I'm sure he'll chime in it's once or twice. It's a whole crew. It is. Uh, we're doing something different this season. We're going to break it down into where you're from. Where you from. What neighborhood you live in in New Orleans. If you're from New Orleans, you know that that's like the second question they ask you. What high school you went now where you live. And you might live or where in you the stay. East, where you stay. It's not where, where you, you live. Stay. It's where you stay. Who you stay with. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the neighborhood, the Marigny. Yes. And Marigny. So, oh. For people who don't know how to say it. It's, uh, it's, it's near the French Quarter. And people have probably been there, right? If you come to New Orleans. I think, well, I think Frenchman Street is where you would probably end up. And that's considered like the new Marigny. Yes. Yeah. People probably don't know when they cross into like a certain street that they're in a totally different mm -mm. neighborhood name. Right. I mean, most people think that the French Quarter is all New Orleans is in the first place. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if you've crossed Esplanade onto Frenchman Street, you're in the Marigny right there. So for this season, what we're going to do, we're going to give you a new neighborhood each week. And each week, we're going to give you three stories about that neighborhood. One coming from Cliff, one coming from myself, and one coming from Lynn. And so, you know, trying to switch it up. Get as much as we can. Mix we got, it up. Yeah, mix it up. If if it mix were. it up a little. Yes, and so, you know, we've got seven people listening weekly for trying to get an eighth. <laughs> right, I mean, Give you know, the people what they want. You gotta switch it up for the seven, you know. <laughs> but first, uh, uh, Nock is gonna start it off, and uh, I'm gonna talk about Frenchman Street and how it got its name, and how Frenchman Street is actually linked to Lafayette Park in Jefferson Parish. Boo. Ooh. Yeah, I know. All right, and uh, we're going to talk about the Creole Revolt, or AKA the Louisiana Rebellion of 1768. Ooh. Spoiler alert, it was unsuccessful. Okay, so just going into it, we didn't win. So I'll tell you, okay? <laughs> Sorry. All right, so after the Seven Years' War, or you might call it the French and Indian War, depending on what Louisiana history class you took. You can't say that. You can't say it? You can't say it. Oh, I mean, that's what it's still called. French and Native American War? I don't... Indigenous peoples. Change it. No. French... Yes, okay. The French and Indigenous Peoples War, all right, in 1762. This is all going to take place in the 1760s. Gotcha. So we, we're going to stay in that decade. So this is before the Marigny is even a neighborhood. This is before the Marigny is even a neighborhood. This all is before right. we're even the United States. Gotcha. Uh, so there just were select... actually streets there, though? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Because, uh, you know, we got passed back from the French to the Spanish to the French to the Spanish. And then we got to the United States. All right, so this is when we're getting passed around a good little bit. Because after that war, the Treaty of Fountain Blue was signed. And so France had to turn over Louisiana to Spain. France lost a whole bunch of land. They lost Canada to Great Britain. All right, and they only got a couple isles in the French Indies. So Spain's going to take over. And all the French that live in New Orleans, they're like, oh, no. Oh, hell no. I ain't having no Spanish king going to come rule over me. So the Creoles and natives and the French that live in New Orleans, we're going to call them the locals. They do not want this. They're loyal to France. Okay. And also who's loyal to France is the Superior Council of Louisiana. And it is the judicial power of its time. Okay. And it's got a lot of power because, you know, France, they're like, you know, laissez-faire. Do what you want, <laughs> Louisiana. And so the Superior Council was like the head of everything. Uh-oh, we got we to gotta go to a new place. Up. All right. So a military officer who was French, his name was Aubrey. Okay, so Spain made this uh, agreement with Aubrey, who's a French military officer, says, hey, man, 
you're going to oversee the transition from France to Spain. And so in January of 1765, Aubrey has a meeting with all of the elites in New Orleans. And the elites say, like, we're not doing this at all. So you need to send somebody over there to the King of France and tell Louis XV, get Louisiana back to France. And Louis XV, they came to his door in Paris, and Louis was like, I don't even want to see you. Didn't even see the guy. Dang. Was like, uh, your land is Spain's. Don't talk to me. I'm done with Louisiana. Your land is your land. That, sing that to him. Yeah. So finally, in March 1766, we're moving along now pretty quickly. All right, Antonio de Uloa, he was put into place as the Spanish governor in Louisiana. And Uola is coming to restore order for Spain. All right. But when he came to New Orleans, he only brought 90 men and a few bureaucrats. So everybody, when he got off the boat in New Orleans, were like, you trying to take us over? with this? And they were like, nah, nah, brah. And so it was like a powder keg in New Orleans. It's about to explode. No one at all wants to be ruled by Spain. So knowing he doesn't have the military backing, Uloa decides, okay, I'm not going to hand over the credentials just yet. And he never officially accepts power of Louisiana. So the French flag is still flying in New Orleans. So the people in New Orleans are like happy about this. Aubrey makes this agreement with Uloa, says, okay, I'll keep running things in the meantime, because Uloa loves to study plants and flowers. So he doesn't really like New Orleans. He thinks everybody there is drunk anyway. So he's going to say, okay, I'm just going to go to this place called La Belize. It's at the mouth of the Mississippi. It's a fort in Plaquemines Parish. All right, so Uloa's down there studying plants while Aubrey is still running the show in New Orleans. But one day, Uloa changed his mind, and he's in La Belize, and he says, hey, I'm going to have the ceremony here right now, and we're going to take over New Orleans and the rest of Louisiana territory, and we're going to do it from La Belize. That was probably smart of him. It was probably smart of him. Then the next day, he says, oh, never mind. I'm not going to take it. I was just, I just did this ceremony. So Aubrey and the NOLA elite are like, what the fuck, man? We still got the French flag over here. And New Orleans is the capital of the territory, so if you want to do some ceremony, you got to come up here and do it. All right, so Uloa knows I can't take over New Orleans with as many people as I have. Well, right, because if someone would say, hey, this guy Uloa is going to come take over New Orleans, like, oh, man, what? He's a botanist. <laughs> well, and he's what? under the Spanish Inquisition, too. These are serious people who are, like, serious Catholics and New Orleans is Catholic as hell, but they're not serious about the Catholicism. They're serious about, oh, God will forgive me, not right. God wants you to behave. <laughs> so there's a, a conflict of interest there. Yeah. So Uola, 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 Uloa, Uloa knows that New Orleanians can't behave. All right. So he tells uh, his Spanish officials that are in Cuba, I need help. I need help taking control of Louisiana send me money, send me military, and all of his correspondence that is sent to Cuba is ignored. So Yuloa's like throwing his hands up and he's like, I don't know what to do. So Yuloa finds out that there's too much smuggling of goods going into New Orleans from the Mississippi River. Oh, but that's all that New Orleans was. Exactly. It was 
It's a smuggler's town. So through engineering, he bottlenecks the flow of traffic of ships using the Mississippi, so he can check the ships coming through the Mississippi. Point. Yeah, a little checkpoint nice. at La Belize, where he does his thing. All right, and he tells everybody in Louisiana, you are no longer allowed to trade with the French. Oh shit, it got hot up in New Orleans after he said you can't trade with the French. Like like the in the French Indies? No, you can't trade with the French at all. In the city of New Orleans? In Louisiana's territory. <laughs> no longer are you allowed okay. to trade with the French. So obviously New Orleans elites and leaders are pissed. So in the early summer of 1768, the elite starts sending people across the Louisiana territory to villages and other places and say, hey man, we're gonna start up support. We're about to not be taken over by Spain. We're gonna come our own little place, all right? So Uloa is also sending people to these villages too to like quash everything that's going on. Friendly or, or with force? Friendly. Okay. Just to, he went to the German coast, uh, one of Uloa's messengers, to you know, quell everything and say everything's gonna be okay. But that guy was arrested by the Louisiana <laughs> officials. So bam, it gets to October 28th, 1768. Riots break out in the city of New Orleans in rebellion of the Spanish rule. So local leaders are just livid. So Aubrey, knowing that he's trying to do this transition of power, he goes to La Belize and he tells Uloa, Look, man, you got to get out of here. Lois says, I ain't leaving. It's my duty to stay in La Belize, Louisiana territory. So Aubrey says, okay, man, I'll escort you and your pregnant wife to this boat and you got to leave. And then three days later, the Superior Council votes that Yuloa must leave Louisiana. So Yuloa goes to Cuba and he sends word back to Spain. Yo, man, these Louisiana people, they're acting crazy. They will not let us take over at all. This is where it gets pretty hairy for the people of Louisiana and the people that wrote this memorial, as it's called, are the ones who are gonna pay the price in the end, okay? So the Superior Council draws up this memorial of the planters and merchants of Louisiana on the revolt of October 29th, 1768. And it says, in our defense, Uloa was a jerk and he closed off the river <laughs> and his tyrannical rule was destroying the economy. So, have you ever done anything in Louisiana? You know, it takes time. You know, you probably gotta sign it and you gotta wait for your buddy to look over it and sign it too. And you gotta wait for the council to look over it and sign it. Then you gotta wait for, you know, the mayor, whatever. You gotta have a beer in between. You gotta. So it, office. it took us a little while to send Permit our office. word to you know, Spain and France. It took us a little while to send it over there. Uh, so by the time, uh, you know, Louisiana had sent word to Louis of France, it was 1769 at that time. Jeez. So by this time, um, Yulo had already sent his, you know, journal and memoirs all to France and Spain. So they took his word as fact. So, Another leadership of Louisiana leaders go to Louis XV and they try to talk, bam, Louis don't even talk to him again. Mm. All right, so some of the people that went over there on this trip saw the writing on the wall and they were like, oh, I'm just gonna stay in France. I'm not gonna go back there. Right, see, my, I, I just, no wonder so many people fought back then because you had to be like, 
hmm, we should send word to France. And they're like, well, how long is that going to take? And it's like, we might as well just go after this guy. You know, like, who cares? <laughs> we went back one time. The guy didn't want to talk to us. So why would we go try again? Left us on red. Yeah. That's what he did. Totally three dotted us. <laughs> so Spain at this point is pretty pissed off. So they send in a brutal Irishman who's now a Spaniard. And his name is Alejandro O'Reilly. Oh, he's a good one. Alejandro O'Reilly. Alejandro O'Reilly. Yes. What a mix. This guy is insane. Yeah. So he's in charge of taking over the transition. And he sets sail with 23 ships, 46 cannons, and 2,100 soldiers. And the people of New Orleans and Louisiana know about Riley. He's got a history because he was also fighting Protestants in Europe for some time and kicking ass. Mm -hmm. So he comes with a bit of a reputation to New Orleans. And so people know, okay, okay, we probably gotta chill out with all this revolt and stuff. <laughs> so O'Reilly gets to New Orleans and he assures the local leaders, hey, everything's okay. I just want you to meet with me. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look. Come with me. We're gonna sit down. We're gonna talk. So he comes to New Orleans with those just 90 soldiers on horseback get off of the ships. So he's got all those 23 ships, right? But he only takes 90 soldiers on horseback off the ships into New Orleans. Okay. We all know how police on horse do in the quarter, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So when he does, he raises the Spanish flag and New Orleans, finally in August of 1769, is run by Spain. So, Alejandro? Yeah. An Irish Spaniard. Irish Spaniard, O'Reilly. He says, anyone involved in the writing of that memorial, they need to speak with me immediately, personally. So as he says, he can administer, quote, precise judgment, unquote. And they have nothing to fear. All right, so the <laughs> revolt leaders are like, okay, maybe it's gonna be cool. Uh, they tell O'Reilly, look, man, it wasn't that bad. No one died. We just kind of kicked your boy out. And, you know, during that time, you had no jurisdiction here because you didn't even have a flag here. And New Orleans was its own thing. Okay? So O'Reilly was like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. And he was like, you guys have nothing to fear. And 33 men in all were charged in the trial and all 33 men were convicted of sedition and treason. 21 of those men were banished from Louisiana. Another one was sent back to France. Five were imprisoned in Cuba. One guy was already dead, you know, because he's, you know. To the 1769. Right. Yeah, right. So five of the men who were most involved with the revolt were executed on October 26, 1769, in the middle of the street, which is now the Marigny. And the street is named Frenchman Street. Whoa. Because of the five men who were executed in the middle of the street during the day. Frenchman is now known as the happening music spot. Yeah, and fun fact to your story. Yeah. Um, the first ever O'Reilly Auto Parts was on Frenchman Street. <laughs> From Alejandro. Oh, oh, His oh. Favorite. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say that as soon as he said his name? <laughs>
Uh, cool, a fun fact. So that's the end of my story, pretty much. That's how Frenchman Street got its name. One of those men was named Nicholas Chauvin de la Frenier Jr. Does that sound familiar to any of y'all? Like Lafreniere? Lafreniere Park. Lafreniere yeah. Park. So he was the Louisiana Attorney General. During this time of the transition, he was one of the guys that was really stirring up the revolt. So as a part of his conviction, the state took back 5,000 acres of land that belonged to Lafreniere. That land was then made into a horse racing track. The 1960 hurricane knocked down that horse racing track. And then that land was then subsequently named Lafreniere Park, which is in Jefferson Parish. And it's a protected area, right? Yes. Yeah. Nice. All right. Another thing that came out of this, the Superior Council, as I told you about, uh, they were just disbanded, squashed, really. And then that's when Spain built the Cabildo and it was established in the city of New Orleans. And if you have been to New Orleans, you have definitely been to the Cabildo. It's to the left of the of the church in Jackson Square, the yep. cathedral, yeah. yes. yes. Mrs. Cliff just <laughs> said that the Cabildo is built without nails. Oh, oh yeah, there's no reinforcement inside. Yeah. I mean, there's no point. It's gonna get knocked down in a hurricane, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just dope. So that's it. I hope you liked it. Our yeah, first... now people just get hammered there a lot. Well, not now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Do we know exactly where? Uh, I'm guessing on the, like... Closer to the river? Yeah, much closer to the river. closest to the river as it goes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the Place de Arms? Where is that? That's It's really close to the Place de Arms, I think, probably, where they got Like shot. the hotel? Yeah. It's the problem on the back side of that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Let's take a break. Cool. All right. Let's do it. When you watch foosball, you're like taking a stance and you can't just enjoy watching foosball. Are you, do you mean to say football, but you're saying foosball because it's silly? Or you That's mean Bobby foosball? My thing is, is when they, when they score, they pipe in the crowd noise <laughs> for the TV. But I want to know what it sounds like when you're in there. Like, is yeah. it just like complete silence? And, yeah, huh, huh, blah, blah. like that's nice all you job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did it. All right, come in, come in, come in. <laughs> all right, now we're gonna kick the extra point. I did see where Aaron Andrews said that she was surprised. And she wasn't even on the sidelines because they only um, put her up in like the front row or something like that. And she heard so much trash talking. Like she was, she couldn't even hear that when she was on on the sidelines last year, like when there were uh, fans in the stands and all that. But she uh, she said there's a lot of trash talking, which is awesome. I wish we could hear that. Oh, that would be great. It was good when you used to could kind of hear trash talk with the guy on the sideline with the microphone. No, they don't even yeah. no. in there anymore. Well, because they have to censor it, right? I think it's so silly to pipe in that noise. And it's always like delayed too, you know what I'm saying? It's like the guy makes a catch and then it goes, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, jeez. Yeah, like I, did, a, I did hear the booze get brought in one time too. Oh, like I love a, the Like booze. a call happen. Uh -huh. like, there's no one there. No, there's no one there. <laughs> Thank you.
I think it's freaking cool. Like, how cool would that be if your family was the one that started a yeah. neighborhood? I mean, unreal. I, I would still like it, you know, city. You know, like if your last name was like Kenner, bro. Well, it just so happens that this family, uh, the family name, the guy I'm talking about, his name is Bernard, first name, but the family name, Bernard Xavier Philippe de Marigny de Mandeville. Ooh. So not only did this man develop the Marigny neighborhood as we know it, but he also developed the North Shore Mandeville property, oh, which wow. may or may not have been his undoing. So what Bernard de Marigny's descendants describe him as is a passionate, devil-may-care, bon vivant, a sort of fool who laughed at the world while it engulfed him. Scholars will often call him an ignorant, undisciplined, dissipated savage whose bare level of literacy cost him a fortune. I'm sure the truth lies somewhere in between. Dang. Yeah. So this family, the Marigny family, uh, the grandfather of Bernard Marigny, who founded this neighborhood, was the first permanent resident on record in the city of New Orleans. He owned a plantation that was just downriver of the French Quarter. He uh, was at one point the wealthiest man in Louisiana. Makes which sense. Passed yeah. down to his son, which pa eventually passed down to our boy. Bernard. Okay. Now, Bernard grew up in obviously a very wealthy home, a very affluential home, and kind of lived a high life no matter what. He was his daddy's favorite. He was very well spoiled. Um, and you know how rich kids can be sometimes when you've got all the wealth in the world. Education isn't always that important to you. How did he go to school? Uh, I mean, he went. But there's a difference between going and participating. Gotcha. You know? There always is. So Bernard grew up around a lot of affluential people. His family hosted every time a, a dignitary or a noble or a royal came in. They would usually stay with whoever the governor was. But then it was the job of all the well-to-do families in New Orleans to keep these people entertained and occupied. So we're thinking people like important um, government officials from the West Indies, from the newly forming Americas and things like that. There was actually this documented um, time when the Duke of Orléans visited New Orleans, who uh, is named after him, and he spent time with each family and they would each throw a lavish party. But the Marinese had to outdo everyone. They were the first person to host him. They were the first big party of this visit. And they pulled out all the stops to the point that they had gold plates and silverware made just for this man's visit. And when he left, supposedly, they threw all of the plates and silverware into the Mississippi River because there will never be anyone good enough to eat off of those plates to visit that house again. Ooh. That's what level of wealth and excess these people had. Have they found them? It, it had we to be like Dixie them. plates, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Spray painted gold? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, hey, hey, you got some gold. Yes. <laughs> We're supposed to be nice to him, but he's really an asshole. We're just going to spray paint these plates and get a solo cup. Write his name on it. He'll never know. <laughs> Somebody got a sharpie. <laughs> so um, yeah, so this is the kind of wealth he grew up in, and really, that kind of wealth is what fueled everything Bernard de Marigny did for the rest of his life. His daddy passed away when he was fourteen. And he inherited what was equivalent to $4 million worth of not just property, slaves as part of the property, um, but liquid cash money as well. 
his godfather was one of the high heads off in uh, the, the Florida territory. So this guy worked for the Spanish government. Bernard de Marigny was a Frenchman, but this was, like Knox said earlier, this was under Spanish rule at the time. This was the late 1700s. So Bernard grew up not just French, but he grew up with a daddy who was one of the most dedicated to the Spanish government men in the area. So really what he grew up with was a love of Creole, that combination of French, Spanish, and native and African. He grew up uh, really treasuring that. And that was about the only thing he treasured outside of his um, money and partying. So his godfather, his godfather realized that Bernard is a little out of control. I mean, he's a 14 year old asshole boy is okay, what yeah, he yeah. is. And he just calls with $4 million. With $4 million. Right. So godfather says enough is enough. I'm sending you to Florida. You're going to go train under my military. He lasted there for a minute and a half. Okay. Hated it. How, wait, something okay. like that. How cool is that line you just said? I'm going to send you to Florida to train in my military. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> but he got a little bit of military training there. He didn't apply himself well enough. So the Godfather then sent him to London to get a proper education. Because according to the Godfather, a man without education is a man with nothing. Okay. So he sends Bernard to London where he was supposed to gain a proper education. What he did gain was fluency in English, which uh, benefited him in the long run because he grew up speaking French in New Orleans, right? So he learned how to speak English fluently. He also learned how to gamble like a motherfucker. This mm -hmm. kid was a card player like you haven't seen before. So he gambled and win. He would gamble and win see. most that's, of the time. Have y'all heard problem. of the card game craps? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only reason you know about that is because Bernard de Marigny de Bienville brought it back to New Orleans. It was based on a game called Hazards in London. He uh, mastered that game so well, he brought it back to New Orleans and introduced it um, and loved that game so much, he eventually ended up calling one of the streets in his neighborhood Rue de Craps after all the winnings he had. I was thinking hey, name of the street too. Hey man, yeah, did, yeah. did I win? No, man, that's a losing hand. <laughs> no, I won that. Man, that's a losing hand, Sha. <laughs> nope, you know, I win it. again. <laughs> man, y'all suck at this game. <laughs> so, seven, seven, what's that mean? Bernard de Marigny ends up coming back home in 1802. He's been in Florida. He's been in London. He traipsed around Europe for a little bit. Finally comes back home in 1802, the year before Louisiana is sold to the United States in the Louisiana Purchase. So now, a good time to come back. Great, <laughs> great time to come back. Okay. This is what's happening in New Orleans at the time. Ain't nobody getting along. There's all sorts of nobility in New Orleans because there is so much money to be made between the French, the Spanish, the British, and these Americans that Bernard did not care for a lick. Um, things are so hostile in New Orleans between these groups that there are city ordinances that tell bands what order the songs they can play because the French wanted one type of dance, the British wanted one type of dance, the Spanish wanted the waltz, and these groups of people would set up their lines on the dance floor to disrupt each other's dances and fights would break out over just what dance you could do to what song. You stepped on my shoes, man? Man, I didn't mean to. Oh, yeah. Did they say you got served? <laughs> when something happened? I, 
Yeah, That's I didn't like even the first think about that. Can dance. I didn't even think about that. Can you imagine? They breakdance fought. I mean, this is the first. I've seen Hamilton. Recording. Of they broke dance. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's the first recorded breakdance fights in history. So this is when the wealthiest man in New Orleans comes back. He is 18 years old. He's still in possession of most of his family's wealth, and Napoleon, that skeezy little man sells Louisiana to the United States because when he took France over, France was broke. And New Orleans was nothing but a money drag. So he sells this to the US. Bernard is not happy about it at all and feels the need to kind of solidify the Creole foothold that is in New Orleans. Um, Another thing that's happening around the same time is there's a revolt in the Caribbean islands where Haiti and Cuba are now. There were a lot of French and Spanish plantation owners whose slaves were revolting. I think we've talked about it on a past episode or two before. And all of these people, both free people of color and wealthy French and Spanish plantation owners along with their slaves are flooding into New Orleans. There is nowhere for them to live. There's just the Vucare, which people know now as the French Quarter, and that's just a couple of city blocks long and wide. So people are starting to build what we could kind of call north of the quarter, really it's south of the quarter, but everything else is either plantation or bayou. And uh, Bernard sees an opportunity to make a lot of money from this. So he takes his family's plantation land closest to the quarter and subdivides it into lots. He gets the streets to line up with the French Quarter streets and gives them really poetic, romantic names because this boy lives in La La Land. He did he, the Frenchman Street. He named uh, Rue de Francois. He named Champs-Élysées. Uh, streets like music and poetry. There's a, a street that was named Good Children Street. He really had this very idealistic view of what New Orleans could be as long as the Brits and Americans stay the hell away. That did not happen, as we all know. Of course not. Of course not. And it, uh, it caused a whole lot of conflict for him. As far as he was concerned, he wanted to, like I said, nurture that, including something that the British and Americans completely frowned upon called a placage. Do you know what that is? Not a clue. Placage is when men of means would keep... Um, a lady friend on the side. Okay. Right. Usually they were free women of color. And this, uh, they would have these things called quadroon balls where, it, think debutante balls, but for women of color. You'd have these young women who would go to this fancy ball and you'd have all these single young white men who would also go to the ball and basically pick out a mistress. Who was gonna be their placage. Yes. This woman was often offered a house she would not have to work for a living and her children that she would have with this white man would be considered a higher status as well. Um, often receiving inheritances and things, which caused a lot of drama, let me tell you. So that's what he fostered in this neighborhood was that old world Spanish, French, Creole kind of life. Um, the Americans and the British people disliked this so much they went ahead and built their own neighborhood on the other side of town. If you've been to the Carrollton Riverbend neighborhood, that was the British and American oasis. Those are the big mansions with the column porches and things. Where Bernard de Marigny was, you feel that much more Caribbean kind of vibe because that's usually where people were coming from. And he uh, actually made a lot of money on this, 
by 18, I think 1812 or so, he was worth what would amount to about $22 million at the time. Open heart. I know. I know. Now, couple of things that he became famous for outside of this neighborhood where all were welcome. Um, he rubbed elbows with a lot of people. So when the British kind of came marching up New Orleans door through the mouth of the Mississippi, it was, according to his notes and records, it was Bernard de Marigny's idea to go let um, Jean Lafitte's men out of prison and oh. to rally those. If you've heard of privateers, those yes. are pirates who were technically allowed to be pirates by the government. According to Bernard, it was his idea to privateer Jean Lafitte and all of his men. So according to him, he's the one that saved New Orleans from the British in the war of, I think it was 1814. He also... So many people try to take credit for that, huh? I know. You know, like the nuns want to take credit. Andrew Jackson wants to take credit. Well, now funny Bernard enough, wants to take the reason Andrew Bernard Jackson was involved cool. in all of that is because of Bernard de Marigny. They so, were friends. He was friends with Andrew Jackson and um, <laughs> he was also friends with Zachary Taylor. So uh, he saved New Orleans from the British. He is also responsible for the Mardi Gras that we know now. Mardi Gras had been brewing in New Orleans for quite a while. It, it was obviously a French celebration and tradition. Uh, if you go back into the late 1700s, there were some students who went to France and came back and started parading in the streets because they were inspired by the Mardi Gras they witnessed in France. But that was a bunch of college boys mm -hmm. along the same lines as Bernard de Marigny, where they were just coming back to be fools and be revelrous in the streets. Maybe they wore masks, maybe right. not. Maybe you all met in one spot and ended at another, but probably not. Originally, these guys would do things like throw flour in the streets uh, as kind of a prank. Think like Halloween trick-or-treat kind of stuff. Right. Um, eventually, it escalated to things like pebbles. And by the time Bernard de Marigny got involved in this, people were doing things like throwing dead cats through the windows of people's houses during Mardi Gras instead of flour and pebbles. So it had gotten more than a little bit out of hand. And this was also the time where lore and legend says Bernard got himself in trouble gambling. He had apparently, and this is all rumor and speculation, lost a lot of money through gambling and his two neighborhoods were starting to go on the decline because it wasn't just the plantation owners coming up from the Caribbean buying his property. It was the working class. Think like those German workers coming in because eventually Bernard closed in this canal and laid railroad tracks down. So it went from shops along the canal to industry along the railroad and his neighborhood and property values were starting to go compound that with his gambling debt and the fact that he's stretching himself across the lake now and he's got these overlapping loans and liens and things and he realizes what well, I need to get this under control and the Mardi Gras was at least one event he could put his finger on and say maybe we could do this better. So he is the one that raised funds to start a proper Mardi Gras procession where you had parades, you had people wearing masks, you had balls and things like that. This dude taking all the credit. He took all the credit for all he, of he it. Just, I made craps. Yeah. I made Mardi Gras. Right. It, this dude's pretty good. I just want to make up stuff. I, you know what I did? I made up throwing a cat through a window. That was me. <laughs> that was me, bro. Take that.
Dr. And John. Since it was my window, <laughs> I called Egg Roll House and said, here's more meat for your uh, restaurant. That's who this neighborhood is uh, is named after. He named it after himself. Eventually, the neighborhood did fall under the influence of the American government that took over, and they renamed his streets. Some of them, they just did the, the English translation. Um, some of them, they completely changed. And the neighborhood still stands, and people still mispronounce his name to this day. It's a beautiful spot. Marigny. You've never been there. It's really beautiful. I love it over there. Especially like if you, if it's like 10 o'clock in the morning, you're on a bicycle in the Marigny, I don't know if it gets much better than that. Better than 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, yeah, because, you know, it's, it gets a little dicey out there at 10 o'clock at night. It gets a little crappy. I will have to say this before we go. I mean, we have to recognize Lynn's shirt. Oh, I've been yeah. staring at it. It's freaking awesome. It's fantastic. It's got Freddie Mercury on it, and he's holding a microphone in one hand and a po' boy in the other, and it says, I'm just a po' boy. Everybody loves me. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm just a po' boy. Everybody loves me. He's just a po' boy. Bravo. I can't tell oh, what's on this though. Oh, uh, Nola T-shirt company. Wow, that's fair. That's at Nola T-shirt company. Ever do a po' boy? It's popular. When I'm doing my cooking classes and I wear this shirt, everybody loves it. And then we have to have a conversation about where the best best po' boy is, and opinions. Get, oh yeah. Oh, do they? Where would you say the best po' boy is from? I send everybody to Parkway. Okay. Because I feel yes. like it's just a like it's a solid, it's a delicious po' boy, but it's a good experience too. It Here's is. the thing: if you when you come to New Orleans and you want a po' boy, be picky about the bread because the bread is what makes the po' boy. It needs to be flaky on the outside so right. it's easy to bite into. The inside needs to be chewy so all them fillings don't fly out all over the place. Right. If you come and to get New it Orleans, get it dressed. Dressed means mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato, sometimes ketchup, sometimes hot sauce. I thought dressed means you're just going to get it on your clothes. Oh, that too. <laughs> At Parkway, a lot. Parkway. Yes. Another place I send people, well, sometimes, if they've been to New Orleans a couple of times, I'll send them to Domelisi's because it's kind of hard to find. It's kind of out of the way. We drove by it yesterday and they actually have a sign up, which is not always what they have. Uh-huh. But yeah, Domelisi's is good too. Okay. You got to get the the shrimp, the fried shrimp with that debris gravy on top. Mm. But I did get Verdi Mart finally. Verdi Mart, oh delicious. My, oh my! I mean that all that jazz. I, 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 mm. I didn't realize what all the hype was about, but yikes! Cliff, you ever had it? No, I have not had a po' boy from there. Let me it, ask you, what time of day did you have your po' boy from Verdi, Verdi Mart? Three a.m. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was delicious. It was amazing. (laughs) I barely remembered ordering it, but I do remember eating it. But it just appeared and I was so grateful. All right.
All right. We're going to bring it to 1890. Now, what you people out there don't know is that we had no idea whose stories were going to be about what. We just knew what it was going to be about the neighborhood. And in fact, Lynn said she didn't want to go first. So Knock went first, but it turned out that Knock had the story of an earlier timeline than Lynn. And I have a story of a timeline after Lynn. So we didn't plan it on the you years. You just let people think we're smart. And that we plan. No, they know they've if they listen enough, <laughs> they know that we plan this chronological thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It just it just happens naturally. Is we what did I was not trying to say. Replay on this occasion seven times. Yeah. So this story is about a woman named Madame Minier Canal, which people call her Mini Mini Canal. It just sounds easier that way to say it. Um, she was a woman who lived alone with her white terrier in the Marigny in this 1830s looking Creole style looking house at 2606 Royal street. It's a real place. Still there. She always smiled for the neighbors, but the neighbors really never came over and they never really knew her outside of just seeing her outside of the house, just her walking the dog. So, and like I said, the neighbors didn't really know her from anything outside of seeing her outside of the house. So um, they didn't know that she was battling some inner workings, if you will. She had a son that just disappeared from the house one day, never returned. And her husband also died in the Spanish-American War somewhere. I think that was in like Puerto Rico, Cuba, and Pacific. I don't really know where he passed, but um, that, that war, I believe, was in 1898. Um, so one afternoon, she just couldn't take it anymore. And it said that she went, she came home from a walk with a dog, went up to the third floor attic, and strangled the white dog. Aww. And then she climbed on a chair and hung herself. Why I know this story went there? from like real happy to yeah. real. Why did the dog have to go? <laughs> I don't know, you know? Was she afraid the dog was going to like bite at her the, like toes? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you don't want to leave the dog. I guess she could have left it with a neighbor, but. That wouldn't make for a cool story, now would it? So um, after that, <laughs> after after the Second World War, so we're fast forwarding like forty years, fifty years. Um, the ghost of her started to appear in this house, which had a new owner, obviously, and this this family was the Ruiz family. And basically, when they were in the house, they could hear like. And this kind of goes well, everyone, if you're listening with, we're in this bunch of wind is wailing around right now. Like, that's what it sounded like in the house. Like, and the floors would creak and they could hear footsteps in the attic and all that stuff. And people could see her um, in a white dress and it would be coming down the attic stairs and her eyes would be protruding. She had a crooked neck. I mean, imagine if you lived in this house. Yes. If I imagine living in that house, and then the next day I imagine not living in the house. <laughs> yes. I don't know why these people stayed. That's I would leave my uh, soiled pants there too. Yeah. <laughs> if I could. So yeah, so the the family said that they could they spotted her numerous times around this house, and sometimes accompanied by the ghostly terrier who she who she killed in the attic. You know, but she says the madam says it was an accidental death. You know, kind of like the Clintons. Oh. <laughs> what? 
The uh, so one time, if you, like, if you start hearing your phone go click, you know why. Listen, I'm gonna get the madam's gonna have my back. All right. Okay. Okay. Um. So these visits from the madam at night took a dark turn. So the Ruiz grandmother woke to a sound of a crying baby, and when she went to investigate, she saw the the madam standing over the crib of the baby. Their baby. Yeah. Or ghost baby. Yes. Wait, so, no, yes. No, wait. What? Yes to real baby no, or ghost real ba- baby? Yeah, there's a real baby. Okay. It was a routine, like, oh, baby's crying, probably needs to feed, change a diaper, whatever. But there was a ghost standing over the crib, right? It was just, I guess it was a weird sign because there was an, a pregnant member of the family uh, that basically miscarried, like, after this happened. There's a weird thing with the baby and the miscarriage. I don't know. So, another thing, another another Ruiz story is that one of the cousins came for a visit, and he heard all these stories from his family members about this spirit around the house. And this cousin, from what I've read, the cousin basically thought this was bullshit. So he started running around the house, going mini canal, mini canal, like you know, taunting, right? Yeah. How did they know her name? Who the kid? Like, oh, yeah, like they knew who she was. Um, I think it was just uh, I, I guess from the cousins and whoever I get stories from the neighborhood who, when they bought the house, if they knew who. Okay. You know, it didn't really say that in the story, but um, so that night, the family was awakened by the sound of the cousin who was singing all around. He was screaming, and when the light in the room was turned on, he had a red imprint on his face. That looked like if he'd been smacked. Oh. Right? And then <laughs> years later, so that was like, that happened. And then basically nothing happened. So years later, one of his um, nieces said that in an interview, she said, my uncle Lewis saw her and died right after that in a car accident. He was very young. So he got bitch slapped by a ghost. And then, like, shortly after that, died in a car accident. Oh, my god! She likes to take souls with her. <laughs> so she took the terrier, right? She yeah. got the miscarried baby, right? Yeah. Now she's got the... Dude. Gotcha. She likes to take some souls. She's got a little pool boy is what... I mean, it sounds like she's trying to get her own act together in a different life, right? Yes. <laughs> so at, so the Ruiz... Family. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So this Ruiz family continued to suffer... A bunch of mishaps, family members who lived in the house had mental health issues, as well as two household accidents that involved children. I don't know what the accidents were. So they tried to, they got priests there to try to bless the house. They tried to get some sort of exorcisms going on, trying to get this spirit out, you know, it never happened. And I, get, I think that probably pissed the madam off. And that's why she did all this stuff to the family. So after that, Obviously, that family got out of there, or they just left. So, uh, well, they all died off. Right. Either that or they just all died off, and they're like, we got to get out of here. After the Ruiz family moved out, an attorney purchased the property at 2606 Royal Street. Go to Google Maps so you can see it. And he later spoke in an interview about how the previous owner, who, so the attorney bought this house from this person, a Native American, who died for unknown reasons inside the home. He said that the, when he spoke to the person who he bought the house from, that the family would perform 
rituals involving the burning of juniper and sage to chase the spirits. Uh, Anything in the house, they tried to send them up the chimney. And then what they did was they sealed the chimney off after they did these like (laughs) rituals. And so they thought that, hey, you know, that got rid of her, right? Well, the current owner now who's, I think they've, I think this was purchased like 10 years ago, said that she continued to see this madam in the window, like if she left the house or she would go up there and when, and the window would be open and she would literally like shut the window, lock it. And then she'd go outside and look up and the window would be open. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Do you know how expensive it is to air condition a house in New Orleans? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that ghost better start paying some of these utilities if we're going to leave the windows open. Yeah. She said the left window here won't stay closed. It has a latch. I shut it and then it just drifts open. So she doesn't, the current owner didn't think that this manure canal was a bad person, kind of like the stories of like LaLaurie, all that legend stuff. They, she thinks it was just all hyped up over the years about this old woman who lived there. But one of the neighbors said, and this is, this is pretty funny to me, is she said, yeah, um, I would often see this fr- old, or this Creole looking woman through the French windows, like while this woman, this resident's walking on the street, she just see this figure in the window. And her, her first thought of this woman that she sees frequently is we had a very, a very peaceful coexistence. Now, let me tell you, they just if, stared at each other, yes, at a ghost? if I was walking down the street and I saw a, a ghostly figure in the window, peaceful. there would not be a peaceful coexistence. Yes, it would. A peaceful coexistence. I mean, the peaceful coexistence is don't do anything. To me, I'm going to be like... No, because that ghost is still in my face and my space. Yes. And I would rather you... Well, I guess the ghost feels the same way, huh? Maybe. That's her house. Yeah, that's her house. Right. So, in closing, <laughs> because she's still there. Of course. Staring at you while you cross it says the street. Her, yes. Her, it says her ghost continually walks around the Marini and you can somehow sometimes see her walking that little dog and you can hear her little footsteps just at night whenever just walking around the neighborhood nice. so that's just mm. still to this day kind of creepy and i don't know who lives in there now i don't know if this woman still lives there but but everyone who's lived there says yes there's some sort of spirit yes and i do you have to disclose this uh, when you sell the place? In New Orleans, you can <laughs> sell your house for more if it's haunted. That's very true. I would have to ask a real estate agent. And I mean, haunted, can you prove if something is haunted or not? The ghost is not going to show up because you say, hey, we're showing the house. No, the house inspector's like, yeah, you know, everything. I mean, it's an old house, but man, that one window up there, I shut it a bunch of times. And every time I come back, the thing's open again. You got to look, you got to check the window upstairs. <laughs> I think you got to fix that. I think you got to fix that. <laughs> Ooh, that's creepy. I was wondering about the dog. I'm glad the dog is still getting walks. I know. I I I really want to go walk by. I, I would like to do that with you. Like uh, if we when everything opens again and we go to Frenchman or whatever, if if it's close to Frenchman, or just go during the day. Or not. I just no, why go, go during the day? Well, because she could probably still be seen in the window. That's true. 
Yeah, she could be like dusk or maybe even morning. Like, time. I don't want to go at night. Biatch is walking on the street. I yeah. want to see her in the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to see her on the street. We wouldn't even know. I want the peaceful coexistence. <laughs> <laughs> As she walks through you. Yeah, right. That was a peaceful she coexistence. she flies through the chimney because they closed it up, but you right. can't go back yeah. down. So no. two things I want to check off my bucket list, okay? Seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. Seen a UFO. Mm. right do you really want to see a ghost though yeah i would love to love to see i'm gonna bring it to my family's property what if you locked eyes with it does it take your soul no no just like what if what if it's doing something and it hears you and go boom and turns and looks at you and then starts charging at you then he's gonna pee himself just a little what if it says something like really strange to you like i'm always watching you and you're like really always or what if it's like don't go over there. I just farted. <laughs> Do ghost farts smell? Uh, they smell dusty. They smell dusty. So they just sound like... Like the time. Like whenever they passed. Like whatever year that was. That's what it smells like. <laughs> that smelled like 1670. That's a good brew. <laughs> if, if you ever smelled a ghost fart, please contact us. Yeah. At the Brackish Podcast. Please send me. A, please send us an email. There's got to be a ghost somewhere. There's many ways you can contact us. Uh, Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook, Brackish Podcast. On Instagram, what are we called? The underscore Brackish underscore podcast. And then on Twitter. We haven't been there in a while. We have not been. Into, I, I tell you what we're not. We're not the other Brackish Podcast. We are not the other Brackish yeah, we Podcast. We don't do incense and... Whatever other we did that one time. We soon, did. soon we, we will send a cease and desist. I've talked to uh, the powers that be and the lawyers that be. Soon enough, she's looking into it. How <laughs> do we send the cease and desist? Yeah, you hear that? You hear that? You hear that, Rox? We're coming for you. Yeah, I don't think they're worried about us. Roxies? No, they're like in La La Land right now in another <laughs> podcast dimension. Yeah, yeah. Talking about trippy flowers and whatever. A lot of people own stones and they think they're they're like children what yeah like i have this have stone. you been listening to them no no i just know people who own stones <laughs> they treat them <laughs> like they're their children like i got this quartz you just check it out nox you you kind of went off who are you hanging out <laughs> in with? a direction i'm not familiar you know with. her actually did this start with covid no this was maybe six that. years ago i hung out with somebody who knew stones very well and it was kind of trippy it so was, did she have a pocket full of stones is what you're saying <laughs> Do you carry these stones with you? Is it like a Tamagotchi that we they, had, Mike? Oh. She did carry some stones with her, yeah. Was and it, it like, kind of like uh, Thanos? Whereas like the... It's definitely Thanos. The time stone the and the, the soul stone. So once she had six stones in her pocket, she controlled all the power in the world. That makes total sense. Yeah. But did she know it? Absolutely not. Yeah. Earth. <laughs> Wind. <laughs> water. I'm going to some Captain Planet stuff now, y'all. I know. Oh, uh, yes. I was just thinking of stone, you know. I just, it's, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So. It's a good time back. Good season two yeah. is now here. Hopefully the 87 tropical depressions in the Gulf of Mexico right now won't keep us from making another episode for you guys. Correct. We've made it through Yeah, Sally. we actually tried to do it last week or a week. Y'all won't know what week it is. The week before we... Uh, we tried to do this, but there was Laura, and I think that mm-hmm. Marco was right before that. So it's just kind of been uh, 
salad. Now we got beta. We're currently sitting through the winds of beta. We're currently in the be Greek. Here for five days. Right. We're in the Greek alphabet because there's been so many storms. Twenty. No. <laughs> Tropical storm Omicron. That sounds worse. That sounds yeah, like some transform. It really I was does. about to say Epsilon that's like, sounds worse. You're All of them. See your UFO once yeah. we hit Omicron. God. I think yeah, UFO. I'm just kind of selfish. Just want to see that. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll end it with this. I'm thinking about a Halloween costume. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I want to be Kung Fu Panda. Panda in a karate suit, right? What do you think? Did the pa- well? No, I mean obviously the movie. Did they? Did he wear that? I want. And then, like, like, what if we all in some karate theme? Cobra Kai. Yeah, because Daniel Sun. And then we get like a ninja. Can I be a ninja turtle? Yeah, ninja turtle. What's up? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can just be 80s. We can be a Care Bear. (gasps) How did I go from Kung Fu Panda to Care Bear? (laughs) You can be Grumpy Care Bear. (laughs) We're both bears. Okay, I guess. I guess. You can be whatever you want to be. I will. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I want to be Godzilla with uh, Latoya's head on top, but I can't do it. Oh, y'all! I love it. Did y'all see that the fight was going on on Clearview and Vets the other day? What? A man had a Trump flag on Clearview and Vets. Go look at it. It's on Facebook. In a car, just waving it. Just waving his Trump flag and his Uncle Sam get up. Okay, so he's waving his Trump flag and this. This man, an African-American, comes. I don't know if they're going to talk to him or what, but you don't really get to see that. All you get to see is the man with the Trump flag swing his <gasps> Trump flag at the man, and then they get into a fight on veterans. Oh, my God. During the day, people are just honking. You know what's happening. But you know if it's windy, that flag didn't move too quick. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It was on a PVC <laughs> pipe too, so it really oh, didn't do any damage. Man. The guy just grabbed it and then started like uppercutting. Yeah, him. he just should have just dropped the flag and started fighting. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Mm-hmm. We'll I'm, see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. I'm Cliff. I'm, only human after I'm, I'm Lynn. Bye. See you next Don't Tuesday. I'm only human, I do what I can I'm just a man, I do what I can Don't put the blame on me Don't put your blame on me